turn now to read the Word of God in the New Testament, in Paul's first letter to Corinthians, in chapter 15, and reading at verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 15, at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted, put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Amen. This is God's word. We thought they were blessed to us that I'm reading from it. Now we turn to praise God this time on the Scottish Psalter and in Psalm 110, it's on page 390, Psalm 110 on page 390. <coughs> the Lord did say unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes a stool whereon thy feet may stand. Psalm 110, from verse 1 to verse number 5, to God's praise.
Turn back now to Paul's first letter, Corinthians, and chapter 15, and we can read at verse 20. First Corinthians 15, at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so on. Now, as I mentioned in the children's address, the message of Easter Sunday is really important. When we read this uh, chapter itself, we see that Paul agrees with that estimation of Easter Sunday. We see from verse 3 that he goes on to introduce to them and to emphasize the things that are of first importance. And the things that are of first importance, he reminds us that there are three of them and they come together and if we lose one of them, then we don't have the good news of the gospel. And they are that Jesus was killed or died on, on uh, Good Friday, that he was buried on, on Good Friday, and that he rose again on Easter Sunday. And so we have these three things that, according to Paul, are of first importance. And when we read through the chapter, we, we begin to see something of, of the, the problem that Paul had with the church in Corinth. He had a variety of problems with them, but one of the problems was their failure to understand the resurrection. And when we read on further from verse number 29, we see the, the danger of the chaos that they could enter into once they lose sight of the fact that there is such a thing as a resurrection and that that resurrection means that Christ will come to judge the world. And we see that it goes on to speak of them as eating and drinking and doing what they please if you don't believe in the resurrection. And when we think of that situation, Corinth, and we think of, of our own society and the world in which we live, we, where we exclude God, we exclude the Lord Jesus as Saviour, we exclude the resurrection of, of Jesus from the dead, then we exclude the very thought of accountability and of judgment, and we have the kind of chaos that seems to escalate and, and spread day by day in life. The resurrection of Jesus is as important or perhaps more important than his death on the cross. It is that which brings the gospel together and it is that which causes us to fear God and to look to God as the one who will judge us in thought, in word and in deed. And today I want to think of the resurrection and think of what Paul is saying here and to remind ourselves of Easter Sunday and God's pledge of paradise perfection. I want to see first of all that we have a pledge. God pledges, he makes a promise that certain things will happen and we know that God is the God who simply cannot lie as we read in Hebrews chapter 6. He makes a promise and the promise we see it from verse number 20 but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. We emphasized in the children's address the importance of, of the facts that Christ
Christ has been raised from the dead. Uh, today we don't believe that, that Jesus had the power himself to, to raise himself from the dead. We believe that God, by the power of his Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead, caused him to ascend and to be seated at his right hand. It is God, by his power, who uh, rescues and resurrects Jesus from the dead. And that very fact is something that was at the very centre of the gospel that Paul preached. And when we go to Athens and hear Paul preaching in Athens, emphasising Jesus and the resurrection from the dead, so central was the resurrection to the message of, of the gospel that Paul was presenting to them that they actually thought that Jesus was one God and the resurrection was another God. The resurrection was so much part of the gospel story that it was raised to that level of importance that they misunderstood, of course. But it reminds us of the way in which the resurrection is of first importance and at the very centre of the gospel as Paul preached it. And when we remind ourselves of that, we remind ourselves of two particular things at this stage with regard to the resurrection. It is indisputable. We know from history that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was seen by Mary Magdalene. He was seen by Peter. He was seen by the rest of the disciples. He was seen by 500 people all at once. The fact that he rose from the dead, that he was raised from the dead, is indisputable. But the second thing is that his resurrection is indispensable for our salvation. And Paul says in Romans 10 that if we, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. The resurrection is indispensable to the gospel. It's indispensable to our personal salvation. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is nothing more than a, somebody who was innocent, who died on Calvary's cross and was laid in a tomb. There's nothing more than that. But the fact that, he, that God raised him from the dead, we have the pledge of God, the promise of God, we have the unfolding of the, of the plan of God. It's a moment which is decisive in God's own plan and in our salvation. It's a fact. And the pledge is that, that Jesus, who certainly rose from the dead and was raised from the dead, is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He shared something with everyone else not who has died, but he shares something with everyone else who has fallen asleep. And Paul, in a very subtle way, makes a big difference between the sinner who dies in their sins and the believer, the child of God, who falls asleep in Jesus. And so when we look at the pledge that we have in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, it is a pledge that comes today for the children of of God. It's indispensable to our salvation. Once we believe in Christ, who died and who was raised, then God's promise is ours. 
those who have fallen asleep, those who will fall asleep. Those who have fallen asleep, he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, God will bring with them. It's for the child of God. And what is the pledge? He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When I read my Old Testament, and I see the way in which the people of God were commanded to bring the first fruits of, of the harvest into the presence of God. First of all, the first fruit was part of the whole harvest. Second thing, they were attributing the harvest to God. And the third thing is that they will bring it into the presence of God, believing the promise of God that he would bring about the whole of the harvest. It's all about God. It's all about the promise of God and the way in which they actually believed in that promise. And so here is Jesus. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In the first place, he is the first of many. He's the first of all of the people of God who are going to be raised from the dead. That's a real important promise for all of us who are the children of God, that as surely as Jesus was raised from the dead, then he will raise us up also. The resurrection is confirmation of that. It is the first fruits. It is part of the whole. It is a demonstration that the promise of God are, are yes in Christ Jesus by that very resurrection. And it is the confirmation that all of the people of God will be raised up in the final resurrection in the same way that Jesus was. It's a pledge of final resurrection for all those who are the children of God. And so when I go back to Easter Sunday and the tomb is empty, with my child of God today, I can look forward to the time when my grave will be empty when it will be burst open by the Spirit of God and by the voice of the Christ who comes to, to rescue his people, that we will be raised in that same way from our graves in the mystery of the power of God and that we will be part of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's a promise to you and to me today if we put our trust in him, if we believe in him, that all of the power that worked in raising Jesus will ultimately work in us also and that in accordance with the plan and the purpose of God. Easter Sunday and the pledge that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is actually the announcement of the resurrection of the people of God that is to come. And so it brings our minds filled with the facts and filled with the promises of God to go to back to the empty tomb of Jesus and to go forward to our own empty grave and to, to see the way in which this will happen because that happened. And we have the certainty that the God who did that is the same unchangeable God who will do the same at the end of time that he will raise us also up with Jesus.
revenge. Will we embrace the facts today? Will we believe the God who cannot lie? And will we embrace this great promise that we have in Jesus himself that because he lives, you shall live also. The pledge. Secondly, that leads me to, the, to, the, to think of our participation in all that God is doing in Christ. And when we come to see the participation in these verses, we see, see the marvellous way in which God has structured humankind in this world in the fulfilment of his purposes. And the first part of that we see that there are personal actions that have consequences. <coughs> For by a man came death. Who do you think that man is? Was it you? Was it me? By a man came death. Knowing Paul as we do in the New Testament, we know he's only thinking of one person, and that is Adam who was created in, the, in perfection in the Garden of Eden. By that man came death. And we know that, that death came because of his actions, because of his rebellion. We know because he broke God's covenant that God sent him out of the garden. That is, the God who said to him, the day you eat of the forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. And the moment that he did that, God sent him out of the garden because, as Paul reminds us in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. As by a man came death. In that moment, death entered the world. And you can go and read Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 onwards. When you go home and we see the way in which Paul goes into detail in explaining that. By sin came death. And the whole process that follows on from there. Individual actions have consequences. It's about accountability. It's about reminding ourselves that because Jesus is resurrected from the dead, that he will judge the world, that he will judge you and me, that he will judge it on the basis of our actions and our thoughts, and that if we are sinners, then we deserve to die. As by one man came death. On the other hand, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And when we're trying to identify who these people are, the answer, of course, is obvious in the rest of the verse, but when we come to identify them, by man also came resurrection of the dead. And it's interesting, I think, to note that it's not resurrection from the dead, but it's resurrection of the dead. In other words, the reference is, is not to the resurrection of Jesus, but to the resurrection of those whom God has promised to raise from the dead. By a man also came the resurrection of the dead. And as surely as death came by the rebellion of, of the man in the garden of, of, of Eden, so resurrection of the dead comes by the action of the man 
who was in the Garden of Gethsemane and who was on the cross on, on Good Friday by his actions comes the resurrection of the dead. And we, we come to, to, to think of the way in which that action has worked out for the Lord Jesus. And we know that when he secures the resurrection of the dead, we know that he did so not by dying a normal death. And we know, of course, there is no such thing as a normal death. Death is abnormal. It's because of sin. But there is that natural death that comes as a consequence of sin. It was the particular death that sinners deserved that Jesus died. And it was that, that darkness of, of the forsakenness of, of Good Friday before he gave up his spirit to God. It's that moment of the horrifying God-forsakenness of the death that he died in the darkness on Calvary's cross. That was the culmination of his perfect obedience and on the basis of that having raised from the dead there is the resurrection of the dead. He is resurrected because of his own personal actions and raised into the glory of God the Father because of his perfect obedience. He was also accountable to God. And so we have the, the personal stance where we see accountability that if we sin against God, it means death, it means eternal death, eternal punishment. If we are perfect and if we are sinless and we do everything that God requires of us, then God will honour that as he did with Jesus. He raised him up and he glorified him. Personal actions have consequences. We are personally accountable. And Paul tells us in Galatians that whatever we sow, we shall reap. If we sow to the Spirit, we shall reap eternal life. If we sow to the flesh, we shall reap corruption. Personal responsibility. But the marvel of the gospel is that we participate in the actions of these two individuals. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. There are two relationships in the framework in which God has structured humankind. Relationship number one, as in Adam, all die. All of us are in Adam represented by him when he rebelled against God, when he broke God's covenant, and when God sent him out of the garden. There is no one today here, no one across the face of this earth, who is excluded from the way in which Adam represented us all. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God decreed that it should be. 
And that's the way that it is. Death came upon all because all sinned when Adam sinned. And that's the danger in which we find ourselves. We think of children stuck on a, on a, on a ride in a theme park, 45 metres high, in danger of their lives. But the danger of the gospel is, or in the gospel, is that you today can be hearing the sound of the gospel and that the danger is such that you are in danger of descending into eternal death after the judgment of God because you are still represented in Adam, the Adam who sinned and through whom death came. And there is nothing that you can do today yourself to physically rupture yourself from Adam and what he did. It's simply God's design for humankind. And we, we look across the world today and we see how much sin there is in the world, how much darkness there is in the world, and it surely reminds us that there is a solidarity in the way in which there is evil in people's hearts that confirm this very truth. That no matter where we go in the world, we see and we encounter and we come face to face with what confirms the solidarity of sin and evil in people's hearts. And were, were, was that the only thing today that, that we are going to understand from God's design? Then the world is hopeless. And the world tragically, to a great degree, has excluded the only thing that's going, that gives hope to us in the gospel and in the world. There is death written over the whole of humankind because of Adam's sin. But the marvelous, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In Christ. In my relationship with Christ. Yes, in my faith, as I believe in the Lord Jesus. But there is more to it than, than simply my faith. And my faith is the human expression of the underlying work of God. Where God has, has taken me out of my place in, in, in Adam. And he has grafted me into the person of Jesus. I am the vine, says Jesus. You are the branches, every branch in me. The moment of faith is the moment of our new birth. It's the moment that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5 and at verse 17. Whoever is in Christ, a new creation. All things have passed away. Everything has become new. And bearing in mind the, the structure that we have for humankind in a kind of symbolic way, God has taken me out of, of my relationship with death and Adam. He has torn me away from there by his grace. He has placed me into a, a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And as surely as before I was caught up completely in the consequences of Adam's sin, so now in my relationship with the Lord Jesus, I am caught up completely in the consequences of his perfect obedience the awfulness of his death 
and his resurrection. The participation. Where do we find ourselves today? Who are we related to? There is one thing sure that we a relationship with Adam continues with very often without us ever really appreciating what that means. And we can hear about what it means. And we can go home from the preaching of the gospel and we can fall into our sleep and forget about it all because we don't realize the seriousness of it. That does not take away the reality of it. But it is also sure that those who have this new relationship with Christ, that as Paul speaks of it in Romans chapter 8, that they have the first fruits of the Spirit of God. And because they have the first fruits of the Spirit of God, they are crying out, Abba, Father to God. And that spirit of adoption they have in their hearts is a spirit which makes them to grow and to long for what? To long for the redemption of the body. To long to participate in the very thing that God has promised to them through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, where am I today in this marvellous structure into which God has placed humankind? Well, let your heart tell you where you are. And if you are the child of God, the heartbeat of our Heavenly Father, the heartbeat of the Spirit of God, will be in the depths of your being. And you will know what it is to believe in the resurrection of Jesus as you believe in his death on the cross. You'll know that your heart has changed, that your life is changing every day. You will know that you belong to the day when Jesus will take your lowly body and change it to be like his own glorious body by the power through which he brings everything under, under subjection to himself. The pledge and the participation. What a joy it is on Easter Sunday to have our emotions and to have our experience so woven into the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and his person and his work that it brings a deep-seated joy and excitement. It's more than words on her lips or more even than a smile on her face. It has depths. It's rooted in our beings because God has created us in Christ Jesus for these good works that we may live for him and serve him and nothing can ever change that. The pledge, the participation and finally the perfection. In verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, each in his own order, each that is Christ and the people of God.
God is a God of order. He has ordered humankind in the way that he has. He has ordered the plan of salvation in the way that he did. And he now has an order in the resurrection. And clearly the order is there. The Corinthians thought the resurrection is over. There's nothing else to look forward to. But Paul is reminding them that that is simply not the case. That the resurrection is in two stages. Stage one has certainly been completed with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But he is the first fruits. And because he lives, we shall live also with him. God has an order. And that order comes to a terminus, it comes to a, a goal, comes to a completion at the end when Jesus delivers up the kingdom to God the Father. There are two things as we close that capture the idea of that day. And the first of these is that Jesus will at last destroy all authority and rule and power. He made a show of them openly in the cross and in God's program and God's order. He is working from the time of his resurrection to, to execute his rule and his control to finally work towards bringing them down completely and on the great, his great return to, to the world at the last day, he will then crush all of the rulers and the authorities and, and the powers that exist in this world. And that's a perfection that we surely long for. That all the anti-God powers in the world that are so often so aggressively working against all that God has said and God has commanded should be done. And in that aggression, confident in the fact that they are in control and that they will overcome and destroy the church ultimately. Confident in, in all of that because of their ignorance of the truth that the day will come when they will be crushed and defeated. And the Bible tells us that Satan himself and all his followers will be cast into the lake of fire. He's working today, he's working here, he's working across the world today. Despite the fact that he has been chained from the resurrection, he is still operating. For the day will come when he shall operate no more. And then, if it's a time of victory, it's a breathing of a sigh of relief. It's coming out of the storm. Thankfully, that's behind us. Coming out of the place of that great tribulation. The perfection of the final defeat of Satan and all of the evil powers of this world. And the second thing is, of course, the great resurrection of the people of God. That as we read on through this chapter, the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will rise. They will hear the, the voice and the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus. The perishable will put on imperishability. The, the, the 
corrupt will put on in corruption. There is that perfection that is promised in the pages of Scripture and that the people of God will ultimately at last enter into. Enter into the joy of the Lord where death will be no more, where pain will be no more, where suffering will be no more. The former things will have passed away and everything then will become new. The perfection. The joy today of that resurrection morning that should fill our hearts with joy at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and that should fill us with expectation and with praise every day that this is not the way it is going to be. That it's going to be so much better and that in that day of perfection sin will be no more and we will be in the beauty of Christ, in the presence of Christ, around the throne of God, and there forevermore to live as the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, will shepherd us and lead us into fountains of living water, and God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. May God bless his waters. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we do rejoice in you as the great God and Father and Saviour that you are. And we pray that you will bless your word to us and fill our minds with your truth and help us to understand more and more of the marvellous way in which you have worked, even the marvellous way in which you have designed humankind in this world and the marvellous way in which through faith in Jesus Christ, your Son, all that he secured and purchased in his death and his resurrection will become ours partly today and in that great day of his return to be completely enjoyed by us. So bless you, Lord, as we pray, and hear us and have mercy upon us. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. The close psalm is psalm number 72. They are words so familiar to us, and we seek to sing these words with our hearts as we close our service. His name forever shall endure. Last like the sun it shall, men shall be blessed in him, and blessed all nations shall him call. Psalm 72 on page 314 from verse 17 to the end to God's praise.
stand with a benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.